Listen, if you have a bulletin, would you open it and just look at the bottom left? Look at what that sentence says. We call that a thrive statement. And what we mean by that is this month we're thinking about the Great Commission. And the thrive statement gives us a little definition to shape our, give us something to shape our thoughts around. And so the idea is if I can say the thrive statement with true and, and authentic, authentic sincerity, then I'm probably somewhat healthy as it relates to doing the Great Commission. And the thrive statement is uh, I'm engaged in healthy relationships in which I'm being discipled and I am making disciples. So two thoughts there before we open to Colossians this morning. One is, what, is it, what does discipleship mean? Well, discipleship is simply learning to follow what Jesus taught. And one of the things I love about Jesus is he doesn't make things complex. I need that in my life. And sometimes we overcomplicate things and we talk about the Great Commission and we, we think about it and we have all this dialogue about it. But really it's pretty simple like discipleship. I'm not saying that it's always easy to do, but it's not hard to comprehend. Discipleship is learning to follow what Jesus taught. Learning to obey what Jesus taught. That's discipleship. And the second thing I want you to notice in this sentence is that there's a give and take relationship where I want to make sure that I am investing in people, helping people to be disciples. And I need to make sure that there are people who are investing in me and making sure that I am following and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a thrive statement. I, I am engaged in healthy relationships in which I am being discipled and I am making disciples. And as I said, one of the things that I love about God is that he doesn't make things difficult. And because he does that for us, I want to try to do that for us today as well by talking about two simple keys that it takes for us to actually do the Great Commission. Now, I'm assuming something. I'm assuming that we are interested and motivated in actually doing the Great Commission. We don't want to just gather in our holy huddle this morning and think about it and talk about it and champion it and sing about it. We want to actually go out at around, what, 1145, 1215 maybe. I'm kidding. <laughs> I've been gone a week. My jokes are off this morning, didn't I? They're not landing. But what I want for us to, to really decide is that we're going to do more than think about the Great Commission. We're going to do it. And if we have people here this morning who would say, I want to do it, but what does it take? I want to share with you two keys. So if you have your Bible open to Colossians chapter 4, that would be the last chapter in Colossians. If you're new to the church or you're new to faith or you're new to uh, the Bible, Colossians is in the New Testament. And if you don't have a Bible with you and you don't have it digitally on your phone and you want a copy, we'd love to give you a copy. In the back on the bookcase, there's some Bibles that look like this and we'd be happy for you to take one. We believe the greatest gift that we can give is the investment of God's word in your life. So feel free to take one if you'd like to have a copy. But we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. We're talking this morning about two keys to actually doing the Great Commission. In other words, we want to do more than think about the Great Commission. We want to do more than talk about the Great Commission. We want to be doers of the Great Commission. Well, what does it take to do that? 
Well, look with me, if you would, in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look in verses 2 through 6. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So if you have your bulletin, you see that we're going to look at both of these keys, make a couple of points about each one. The first one, we're going to actually ask some questions about it. But the first key to doing the Great Commission is to have a healthy prayer life. Now you may say, well, what does that have to do with the Great Commission? The Great Commission is about going out and it's about having relationships with people and investing in people and teaching them to obey. Yeah, but here's what I would say to you. If you're not praying about the Great Commission, you're probably not doing the Great Commission. And so a healthy prayer life is essential for all areas of Christian life. And this one is no different. A healthy prayer life is important if we're actually going to be about the work of God on a daily basis out wherever we are during the week. Whether it's at work or whether it's at home or whether it's at school. But the follow-up question to that is, well, what does a healthy prayer life look like? I want to share with you three questions that if you can answer these questions in the affirmative, if you can answer these questions by saying, yes, this is true of my life, you probably have a healthy prayer life. I believe that these are evidences of a healthy prayer life because Paul lists these things in Colossians chapter 4. The first question is, is my prayer life steadfast? Is my prayer life steadfast? Now, steadfast isn't a a word that we use on a regular basis, or at least it's not for me. And the danger that I run or the temptation that I have is to think about steadfast as being equivalent to consistent. And as I look at the word and what the word means and think about it and use it in different sentences and situations, I come to the conclusion that it doesn't mean consistent. It means something more than simply using the word consistent. You see, because steadfast seems to imply challenges. And so what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 4 that a healthy prayer life involves praying even when there's challenges to having a healthy prayer life. I'm going to let you write that down while I take a drink of this water. (laughs) There are challenges to prayer life that I want to talk about for a few minutes because you, you may be struggling with prayer and you may not even realize it, but there may be some things in your life that are holding you back from a steadfast prayer life. Emotional trauma can be something that's a challenge to our prayer life. And in fact, if you've ever gone through grief, then you probably realize that, that, that in the season that you are walking through grief, grief and sorrow and the difficulties that you're walking through presented a fantastic challenge and obstacle to a prayer life. 
You may be angry at God. Or you may not be angry at God. You just may be so emotionally exhausted that you have a hard time coming into the presence of God. So emotional challenges may exist. Intellectual, by, by, when I say that, what I mean by that is you may be saying, I don't know how to pray. I would love to have a healthy prayer life, but I don't know what to pray beyond. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this meal in Jesus' name, amen. And I would just say to you, that's a really great prayer to start with. But you may be thinking today, I don't even know how to pray. I want to I help you this morning. I want to help you learn how to pray. If you're making notes this morning and you're saying, I don't know how to pray, I want you to write down three questions. Number one, what is burdening me right now? Would you write that down? Just write down that question. You don't have to answer it right now, but write down that question. What is my burden? The second question is, what am I excited about right now? And the third question is, what do I hope God will do in my life? There's an outline for your prayer life. You can come to God and say, God, these are the things that are burdening my life. God, these are the things that I'm excited about. God, these are the things that I want to see you do in my life. A healthy prayer life is a life where we're being steadfast. Where we're continuing to pray no matter what challenge comes our way. We have emotional, we have intellectual, we have practical. Some of us have these practical challenges where we don't even feel like we have time to take a bite of food. Let alone get in our prayer closet and spend time praying. But a healthy prayer life is one in which we're steadfast. Now, the second thing that I would like for us to ask when we're thinking about a healthy prayer life is, does it bring clarity? Does it bring clarity? Do I spend time praying in which God brings clarity to my life? The first question, is it steadfast? The second question, does it bring clarity? Look with me again in the scripture, if you would, where it, it, in verse 2, it says to continue steadfastly in prayer. Look at that next phrase, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You know, there's a, there's a type of prayer in which God brings clarity to what's going on in our life. <clears throat> I'm going to be frank with you. I want to be honest with you. I want to let my card show a little bit. Oftentimes, for me, this is the most difficult way to pray, these watchful prayers. Because all too often for me, my prayer life is like my experience at a restaurant. You show up and you sit down in the booth. And then somebody brings you the menu. And you look over the menu because you want to look and see what you want. And quite frankly, sometimes I'm guilty of reading the Bible that way. Let me just look through here and see which I, what I want from God. Protection, yeah. Riches, yeah. Favor, yeah. All these things. And I read the Bible like I'm reading a menu. And then the server shows up. 
And you know what the server says? He says, how are you doing? Good, let me tell you what I want. That's our conversation. And so the server writes it down and says, okay, well, that'll be right out and goes away. And then the server comes back with the food, puts it in front of me, walks away, and then shows up every now and then and says, everything tasting okay? The extent of my conversation with the server is to tell the server what I want from that server. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that's our prayer life. I sit in the booth or the chair, read the Bible like a menu. Okay, God, it'll be joy this week. Okay, God, it'll be patience this week. You can take the menu back. That's not clarifying prayer. It's not watchful prayer. Watchful prayer is sitting with God and abiding with him and letting his opinion and judgment shape the way you see everything. Have you ever been at the end of your rope? Some of you say, I'm there now. I'm holding on. Have you ever been at the end of your rope and you didn't know what to do? So you went to your friend's house and you sat in the chair with your friend and you just let it all out. And your friend says something like, can I ask you a couple of questions? Sure. And they ask a question and when you answer it, it clarifies things for you. And they ask another question. And as you answer it, it brings something more into focus. Have you ever had that conversation with someone? We're being with them in that quiet moment of just conversation, clarified things. You see, I think that's what Paul is talking about when he says, be watchful in your prayers. Allowing the way you see things to be transformed through your prayer life. Oh, when you're able to to experience that type of prayer, it's beautiful. Because instead of responding to people and things, you can just go to prayer. My granny was one of the most godly people I've ever known in my whole life. And one time I went to my granny and I told on my papa, And I said, Granny, you know what Papa did? And she said, what? And I told her what he did. And she said, is that right? I said, yes. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) She said, well, I just think I'll go tell Jesus on him. (laughs) In my humble yet accurate opinion... I think that if we could do that a little bit more, our lives would be different. Instead of responding to people so quickly, instead of responding to situations so quickly, let's just retreat and let's have some watchful prayer. Let's just go tell Jesus about what's going on and see if he doesn't bring some clarity as we have this watchful prayer with thanksgiving. The third question to ask ourselves as we think about healthy prayer life 
is, is it full of intercession? This might be a new word for you, and if it is, fantastic. Intercessory prayer is praying on behalf of someone else. So if you are interceding for someone, that means that you are praying on their behalf. And Paul talks about this in the scripture. He says, listen, I want you to pray in a steadfast way, keeping watch with thanksgiving. And then he says, and pray for me also. He calls them to intercessory prayer. Now notice what he asked them to pray about. Look with me, if you would, back in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us a couple of things that God may open for us a door for the word to declare. And so Paul is saying, I want you to pray for me that I am able to preach. That word, that, the idea of preaching comes from this word, to proclaim, to declare. To make a proclamation. Paul says, I want you to pray for me in your steadfast prayer, in your watchful prayer. Pray for me. Pray for me as I declare. But declare what? There's a lot of things that we can declare. Here's what Paul says. I want to declare the mystery of Christ. If we're going to make disciples, that needs to be plugged into our hearts. When we walk through the threshold of the door to our job, or the door to our school, or the door to whatever it is that you do throughout the day, oh Lord, may I proclaim the mysteries of Christ. It's the greatest message that I could share with the people that I care about. He says something else that's really important before we go to the second key. He says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, This is Paul's heart when he calls out for the church at Colossus to pray, to intercede for him. He says, I want you to pray that I would declare the mystery of Christ and that it would be clear. I want to do that for you. I want to declare the mystery of Christ for you, that life is found in Jesus. That he is the key to the forgiveness of our sins. That he is the one who satisfies. That he is the one who gives purpose and meaning and direction. Would you come to him this morning? Is it full of intercession? So the three questions that we ask ourselves this morning. As we're talking about the keys to doing the Great Commission. Having a healthy prayer life. Is it steadfast? Does it bring clarity and is it full of intercession? A healthy prayer life keeps the focus of my heart on the glorification of Jesus, the proclamation of his gospel, and the transformation of the people around me. I want to say that again. A healthy prayer life keeps the focus of my heart on the glorification of Jesus, the proclamation of his story, and the transformation of the people that are around me. That's why a healthy prayer life is important if we're going to be about the Great Commission. Now, you may look at this and you may say, Pastor Zach, 
I am not doing well in one of these areas. I'm not sharing this with you for you to feel guilty about yourself or for you to leave this morning and say, I don't have a good prayer life. I might as well just give up. That is not what I'm trying to do at all. In fact, I would I would argue this morning that everybody sitting or standing here could find one of, one of three areas where we could do a little bit better than we're doing now. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about your prayer life. But I want to show you what we see in Paul's writing because I think it's important for us to see. And it gives us this mark of health where if we, if we look at steadfastness and we say, you know what, I'm not being steadfast then we have something to pray about. We have something to pray about. If we say, I haven't been interceding, we have something to pray about. And maybe you're not interceding because you don't know who to intercede for. You say, who do I pray for? Who can I intercede for? Well, whoever's sitting on your row right now, that would be a good place to start to intercede for. Yeah, maybe I don't know. That's okay. Another place to begin interceding is the missionaries that we support. And we, have, we have a number of missionaries that are out on the mission field right now that the fellowship supports. And you say, I don't think I do. Well, you do. If you give a single penny to the fellowship, you are supporting that work. And they're all over the globe sharing the gospel, sharing the mystery of Christ in places that are hard to get to and hard to share you can intercede for them. You can intercede for your staff, for your elders. There is a never-ending list of people that we can intercede for. But maybe you needed that reminder this morning. So again, I don't share this for you to feel guilty about your prayer life. I share this with you to make your prayer life stronger. That's the first key this morning. The second key is faithful and strategic daily living. So the first key really is about our relationship with God, this vertical relationship. And the second key is our horizontal relationships or our relationships with one another. If you would, go back in Colossians with me and and notice verses 5 and 6. And all four of the next points that we're going to be making this morning is from verses 5 and 6. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So I'm going to give you four words that really capture well what it means to have a faithful, strategic daily life. The first word is relational. Now, I will tell you this, that for the introverts in the room, this is the most stressful word. Because it takes a lot for us introverts to step out of our comfort zone and engage with people. But when you look at verse 5 and 6, what you discover is that the life that God is busy at work using in the world today is a life that is intentionally connected to and with other people. In fact, go back and look at verse 5 and 6 again and notice the relational aspect. God expects that his people are going to bump into other people in the world. Now, how many in here would just raise your hand and say, if I could live in a cave with television for the rest of my life, 
I would be okay doing that. All right? Honesty. Honesty is the best part. Yeah. Like, listen. Now, some of you extroverts, you just don't get this. You're like, how can they say they love Jesus and want to retreat like that? But it's true, isn't it? Like some of us get terrified of engage. But this is what Paul says. Engage those who are on the outside of the kingdom of God. It's relational. It's relational. Now, the second word that I want to ask you to write down this morning is responsive. So we've got relational. We've got responsive. We must be ready to answer the people who are asking questions of us. And I want to lean in on this for a, a moment, but I'm going to give you a chance to write this. And then I, I want you to look in verse 6, because I want you to see where this is coming from. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The way that we win people over to Christ is not who can yell the loudest. If we want to be strategically placed in the world, then we have to be prepared to respond to people in the gracious and godly way when God puts those people in front of us. I'm not saying you compromise the truth. I'm not saying that you don't talk to them about both heaven and hell. I'm not saying that you have to agree with everything that they say is appropriate and right and should be blessed. I'm not saying all of that. This is my point. My point is, is that what Paul is saying is that about when we're talking about the Great Commission is that we must be prepared to go out of this building, out of our comfort zone and live and operate and be effective in a world that may not understand the gospel that we're talking about. And it's important that we be gracious. Now this, this actually, this one point could be an entire sermon series. One, because it's so important. But two, because some of us haven't been so great at it in the past. I want you to look at this verse again. I just want you to hear this as we think about and talk about being responsive. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know why it says each person? Because each person matters. Each person matters. The third word is redemptive. These all go together, but I want you to look at the second and third word together. We need to be responsive towards people. We need to be redemptive. Paul says to the church, be gracious. Now, as I'm thinking about this, here's what I'm thinking. If I'm saved 
And as Ernie read the scripture that my body is a temple for the Holy Spirit and I'm saved and I'm being sanctified and I have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of me, it seems strange to me to think that I need to be told to be gracious. Because I would just think that just comes naturally. But it doesn't. You see, I have to be reminded that in my faithful and strategic daily life, when I interact with people who are outside of the kingdom of God, I need to be gracious. I need to be redemptive. That's important for us. It's important for us to interact with one another that way, but it's important for us to interact, as Paul says, with the outside world that way. Again, holding fast to truth, but graciously. I like what he says, seasoned with salt. Have you ever took a bite of something and it just dreadfully needed that salt? And you you put it in your mouth and what's supposed to be delicious, you want to spit out? Think about that the next time you want to share the gospel truth with someone. Because that message should be something that they would be longing to swallow. But if it's not seasoned with grace, their first response will be to spit it out. May that never be us. Redemptive. Fourth word is responsible. Verse 5 says, to make the most of your time. Make the most of your time. Can I just tell you that for the rest of the day, you will have this day one time. Tomorrow's Monday. And you know how many times you're going to have that Monday? One time. And on Tuesday, you know how many times that day is going to come and go? One time. And isn't it interesting that we live life as though we've got all the time in the world, but we don't. And Paul reminds the church of that. In fact, look with me if you would in Colossians chapter 4. I think it's verse 5. Look with me if you would before we close this morning. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. What an important thought. Listen, brother or sister. Listen, those of you who are in the Lord, those of you who have said yes to Jesus, can you just pause for a moment and think through the way that you used last week? The things that you did, the way that you spent the most valuable thing that you have, which is your time. Can you just hear this message echoing through the generations of Paul saying, be responsible with your time. Make the best use of your time. Because we only get one of today. 
And if we're going to be faithful and strategic in our daily living, when our feet hit the floor, we need to be ready to go serve King Jesus. Love people. Minister to people. Remember the glorification of Jesus, the proclamation of his story, and the transformation of the people around us. We need to be ready to invest our time in those endeavors. I want to close just with some prayer time. So right where you're sitting, would you just bow? And I want for us to spend some time praying. I know I've said a lot of important things this morning. And maybe one landed in your heart more prominently than another. I just thought if we could spend some time praying and seeking the Lord. Because ultimately I want you to be guided by his prompting and not mine. And so if you would just bow with me. And as you bow and just take this heart posture for prayer. Would you just ask God to speak to you in a very clear way? Which one of these keys you would need to spend the next few moments praying about? 